Hello, it's Paul Scott here, small caps blogger and investor and writer of the Small Cap Valley Reports on Stockopedia.com with Graham Neary and um, help occasionally from Roland Head as well, who's going to be supporting us uh, in this coming week when Graham and I will be busy at Mellow Chiswick. This is the week that it starts. It's Tuesday and Wednesday in Chiswick at the Clayton Hotel. Um, investor show organised by Mellow, which is David Stredder's company. It's really, really nice. I think it, I treat it mainly as a social thing, actually. I get to meet hundreds of people who I only usually see once a year there. And it's just great fun, brilliant atmosphere, plus some fantastic headline speakers. And, of course, some small companies there as well. I mean, David said it's really difficult to persuade companies to actually come to investor shows, decent quality companies, that is. You know, there's plenty of people who want to come and talk about their latest hole in the ground, but um, and how many billions and squillions of gold they're going to find in there, or oil, or whatever it is they're looking for. But David tries not to 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 get those sort of companies along. He wants proper companies. Belvoir are going to be there. BLV, they're absolute stalwarts of the uh, Meadow Show. So I'm really looking forward to uh, chatting to them again. Also, I'm really looking forward to seeing Central NIC. Uh, quite a controversial share that I believe they're going to be physically at Mellow Chiswick as well. So I'm I'm looking forward to meeting the people and trying to understand uh, their accounts and their business better. Oh, I forgot to say the date. It's Sunday 21st of May. I normally do these on a Saturday. So sorry to the dog walking and gym going community who had to go without my pearls of wisdom. <laughs> That's a joke. Yesterday, uh, and it's coming a day late, but it is a weekend podcast, so I don't feel too guilty because Sunday is part of the weekend. So for Sunday, 21st of May. Uh, now, I should say, actually, we should maybe we should rename the small cap value reports on Stockopedia as small to mid caps because we're actually covering about 550 companies in total from market caps of 10 million up to 1 billion so we're pushing well into uk mid cap territory actually so very very wide coverage of the market we don't cover everything um our reports are driven by uh, trading updates and result statements plus occasionally takeover bids and um and such like now i should mention my favorite charity zane zimbabwe a national emergency is what that stands for as you know so um, between us, we raised 50 grand for Zane in 2021, including one incredibly generous donation of half of that from uh, a friend of mine called Investor. Uh, and as I said to him the other day on, e on email, you know, that will have literally saved lives. Um, it's a small humanitarian aid charity in Zimbabwe. I don't have any connection with Zimbabwe. I just um, know the founder of Zane. Uh, quite well and I just think it's an absolutely brilliant charity and I went there in 2019 and saw their work well it was the annual conference this year which was a hybrid one it was held in Oxford but I didn't really want to schlep all the way up there just for a, a two-hour conference so I joined via the zoom link and it was a real eye-opener and I tell you what all the problems we have in the UK if you're involved with a humanitarian aid charity in a really poor desperately poor country like Zimbabwe then it really makes you count your blessings what they're having to deal with over there is just unbelievable. And Zane is, you know, is is genuinely improving and saving thousands of lives. So any any cash, I've got to increase my standing order to Zane um, when I can, because they're just doing brilliant work. So Mellow Chiswick, I've mentioned. Oh, Damien Cannon's doing a brilliant charity fundraise. He's going to run up the stairs in uh, the cheese grater in the city. And then he's going to zip wire over to the gherkin. 
What an absolutely insane challenge. But he's trying to raise two and a half thousand for charity. And I have to say hats off to him. I think I'd probably have a heart attack on about floor 18 if I tried to do that myself. So um, I'll put the link in the comments section and I hope you can uh, uh, ping a bit of money over to Damien for this uh, remarkable fundraise. Right, on to business then. Monday, this was, let me scroll up. Monday, the... 15th of May, the Small Cap Valley Report, we covered five companies. We, we normally cover between five and ten companies each day, so they're quick reviews. Uh, well, I'd say we probably go into more detail than most other commentators, um, but it's not, you know, it's not the same as fully researching a company. So you do have to go off and do your own detailed research after any stock ideas that we've thrown at you. And we're never, ever recommending things. This is so important. Stockopedia and, and myself, it's all about basically just throwing ideas at you. And Stockopedia gives us the tools to analyse things. And of course, the stock ranking system is fantastic as well as uh, a second check I, I use it for. But some people base all their investing on stock ranks. So first off, uh, Roland was helping me on Monday. He looked at Restore RST. Now, this was a mild profit warning. It dropped 15% to 249. I think it's gone up slightly, ended the week slightly higher. Mild profit warning, um, 349 million market cap. Now, this is an acquisitive group, Restore is, that's uh, bought a lot of companies sort of in vaguely related sectors. It does things like document storage. So if a solicitor wants to empty out their basement and put everything in deep storage, but where it can be uh, accessed if need, needs be in future, they would use the services of Restore. I think they use things like, for example, um, disused salt mines, perhaps, and places like the nuclear bunkers, maybe, places to, to store things. But they've got a whole range of other kind of vaguely associated businesses as well. And anyway, this profit warning from Restore was blamed on a 20 to 25 to 30% slowdown in PC laptop sales. So that's a big slowdown, isn't it? Um, and that's caused a slump in demand for its IT recycling services. But it does say the rest of the business is, is performing fine. And broker updates have only been trimmed slightly, I see. Um, <clears throat> now, um, Roland thinks that another profit warning is a risk, but he does see some signs of value in Restore. I'll second that. I've had a quick look at the stock report on Stockopedia, and it does look quite interesting. The Ford PE now is only about 10 for Restore, but historically it's always been rated sort of six, a PE of 16 plus. Um, so it's unusual to be able to buy it at this sort of valuation. Now, Restore um, had a stunning track record from about 20, 2008 for about the next, I think it was the next 10 years. It was a serious multi-bagger from the lows. Um, but it's, and it got to about five pounds a share, but it's it's not really gone anywhere over the last five years. And it's about half that level now. So is it still a growth story? I don't know. But anyway, certainly in valuation terms, Restore does look quite attractive. Next, Roland looked at Curry's. Neither Roland nor I is, is particularly enamoured by Curry's. My main issue with it is the balance sheet. The whole company totally depends on its trade creditors. Now, the trouble is when you've got a very, very weak balance sheet and you're only eking out a, a tiny profit margin, you know those trade credit insurers are absolutely vital. So it's on a low PE for a reason. It's because it's financially pretty wobbly, I would say. It's dependent on those trade creditors. People always look at net debt from the bank, but more often than not, actually, trade creditors are supplying businesses with more credit than the bank is. But everyone ignores that. 
And I myself had have, have had to deal with a struggling business hands-on when in my uh, FD days back in the 90s and early noughties, where we were constantly having trade credit insurance pulled by uh, Trade Indemnity, Euler, um, they're the main one, I think they're called something else now, but anyway, you know, just on a whim, they'd just pull the cover and suppliers would ring up and say, Paul, I can't deliver this stock to you because we can't get trade insurance on it. You know, it's a real problem. So ignore the trade creditors risk at your peril, because every now and again, particularly in economic slowdowns, those trade credit insurers can slam the door shut and you can suddenly find companies struggling to continue operating. So I'm not keen on curries. It's cheap for a reason. Now, I looked at one of my favourite shares, Cerulean, C-E-R. This is a really, really good growth company. I don't hold it personally, but I wish I did. Um, I just don't have a lot of... Uh, I, well, I don't have any spare cash available at the moment for doing new positions. I have to sell something else, and I don't want to sell anything at the moment. But Cerulean, I really, really like. 360 million market cap. It provides um, cloud-based billing software, mainly for the telecom sector. And the business is just rolling in. I, it's just in a sweet spot. I interviewed the CEO six months ago. That's on my website, qualitysmallcaps.co.uk. And it was a really interesting interview. I just wanted really to answer one question. You know, what has happened that has caused the figures to suddenly start dramatically growing from 2020 onwards? And in a nutshell, it's basically right place, right time, right software. The telecom sector is now migrating to cloud-based solutions and Cerulean has just got all the right products and it's winning contract after contract. Now, its interim results were very good, uh, excellent actually. It's got a great balance sheet stuffed with cash, which I think uh, is important because major clients, telecoms company, if they're going to sign up for business critical software with a small cap UK company, they want to know that that company is still going to be around in five or ten years time. So I think having a, a big pile of, cat, of net cash is a good thing to just leave it there rather than giving it out in special dividends or something for that reason. Anyway, I like everything about Cerulean apart from the valuation. It's on a, a current year forecast PE of about 30. They said they were going to be in line, but I think reading between the lines and looking at the actual forecast, I suspect Cerulean is probably likely to beat forecast. So the PE of 30 could turn out to be a PE of 22 or something. Then with another year's growth under its belt, you can see how this thing could quite easily grow into um, the elevated market cap. So I like Cerulean as a just a medium-term lock-away-and-forget type of share, and I must buy some myself at some point. Right, what else? Oh, quick comments. Now, this is an interesting one. John Wood, WG Dot, uh, a billion market cap, so right at the top end. Now, it looked as if this, uh, it, this it, it's a, an engineering consultancy firm. They seemed a very, very large turnover, but quite patchy. Um, profit track record so I, I don't really know how to analyze this one without spending a day on it so I've just said look hands up I, I don't really understand the valuation um, although some reader comments did expand on that point and made some good points which were very interesting thank you for that now Apollo was meant to be bidding for it and uh, with a takeover bids of up to £2.30p which was specified in a, an RNS near the end of February well it's all fallen through they can't agree on price, and the shares have now dropped to about £1.40, way below the £2.30 indicative bid level. Now, this is the second one of these we've had recently, where a mid-cap has apparently got a deal lined up. The other one was Emis, wasn't it? I think that's a software company, I can't remember. Where, you know, a deal seemed to be uh, in the process of being finalised, and it just suddenly fell through. So I think this does change the dynamic now of takeover bids. Maybe it's best to sell in the market when the bids are first announced. 
rather than risk holding the baby when uh, when the bid falls through. And it's not it's always such a difficult decision, isn't it? If you're lucky enough to have uh, a share that receives a bid, what do you sell or do you hold? You know, sometimes a better, higher priced bid can come through. I think maybe it's not necessarily a binary decision. I sometimes just sell half and then keep the other half. That way you can claim victory, whatever happens. Uh, Roland, what else? He looked at FRP advisory. Um, I think that's enough time for Monday's report. Right, I think that's working. Yes, sorry, minor technical glitch there. Good, okay, Tuesday 16th of May, I'll be quicker on this one. Now, here's an interesting one. I finally spent, uh, well, it was it was half a day, actually, I spent on looking at Central NIC. This is a really interesting um, share. I won't go into all the detail. They're going to be at Mellow Chiswick, as I mentioned before. I wanted to properly understand the accounts before I met them, so they couldn't sort of, you know, just uh, uh, bamboozle me with, with facts and figures. I wanted to be on top of them. Uh, anyway, I won't go into all the detail, but I, I I came away with quite a surprising conclusion on it, even though I don't like the balance sheet at Central Nick, and I don't like the fact that it's got a large gross cash and then large gross debt. That doesn't make sense to me, so I'm going to really quiz the management hard on that when I see them on Tuesday. And um, also, I you know, I'm not keen on, on internet advertising businesses because they're often generating money in ways that, you know, suddenly will be switched off by the big uh, by the big giants like Google and Facebook. Companies seem to find lucrative niches to, uh, for, to raise money from online advertising and then suddenly the door slams shut. So I'm overall, I'm not really that keen on, on CNIC, but um, the cash flows are real, basically. It's just I'm questioning whether those cash flows are sustainable. Uh, now, I think it was Roland, or was it Graham, looked at Zytronic, very, very small, so we'll gloss, gloss over that. Acrol, ACRL, I've never liked this one. This is the uh, toilet tissue processing company that turns big rolls of toilet paper into small rolls of toilet paper for very low margins. But it's a turnaround story, and, you know, the numbers and the EBITDA are moving in the right direction. But Graham's sceptical too. He's marked it red, which is pretty uh, savage um, <laughs> on the interim. So, no, we just don't see a particularly good business there. Now, I looked at Boohoo, our old favourite, not... That's been a disaster, obviously, for me and lots of the readers, unfortunately, over the last two years. But um, the full year February 23 results actually were not as bad as I was expecting. It's basically trading around break even now. So this, the, the golden goose sort of 10% EBITDA margins, that's gone. And But they're hoping to rebuild margins. Well, a company that's trading at break even and trying to rebuild profits is not really of much interest to me. So... Um, I've marked it amber. I'm not I'm not planning on investing in Boohoo again. I just think the whole online fashion space has just been absolutely clobbered by this Chinese um, fast fashion outfit, Shein, which is obviously using apparently using slave labor and breaking all the rules and just posting goods into the UK on an individual packet by packet basis, which means they don't have to follow any of the rules, whereas everyone else is subject to scrutiny from the press. And it's just a totally unfair um, unequal ballpark so I think uh, but the figures as I say from Boohoo some some sign of promise there and they should be able to actually improve margins as freight costs reduce 
and uh, they've drastically reduced the, the inventories. So the cash position is fine at Boohoo. It's still not clear who's provided this 325 million loan that's fully drawn down but sitting in the bank in a deposit. Doesn't make sense to me. Anyway, um, I don't know. It's worth keeping an eye on Boohoo, but I'm, I don't really have a strong opinion either way on that one. Um, Whereas I'm very negative on ASOS. I think if you've got to invest in one, Boohoo is the safer one by far. But ASOS could get could catch a bid. You never know. Somebody might come along and say they want to buy it because they think they can turn it around. I don't know. And then we looked at equals. Graham is amber on that one, as I am. I know Paul Hill's been trying to persuade me very hard that it's the best thing since sliced bread walked through the door, which it might be. I don't know. But I just... Personally, I can't get sufficient conviction to want to buy any, but, it, you know, the numbers are moving in the right direction. All the trading updates are good. So there's a lot of positives, I think, for equals. That's EQLS. It's one of these Forex uh, dealer type businesses. I think there's three, isn't it? Argentex and Alpha FX, and they're all doing well. And they all claim they've got the best platform and, and so on, you know. Uh, shoe zone. Now, this really surprised me actually. This dropped sixteen percent to two pound three, which um, on the interim results. Now, this share had been rising and got to about two pound fifty on just a continual wave of positive news um, for the last couple of years, really. But it seemed to hit a bit of a brick wall and dropped down by almost a fifth from the peak to two pound three. So I was wondering, is this a buying opportunity? But after going through the interims. I can see why some people decided to bank their profits because it's had a terrific bull run over the last two or three years. H1 profit is down a little bit, but most of the profits made in H2. And it did mention, I think, uh, the impact of much higher staff wages are starting to take a bite out of uh, profitability. But it did say in line with the full year forecast. The trouble is my previous bullishness, I read my previous notes on this and I was much more bullish when it was around, I think, £2.30. But at that point, the facts were much stronger, and it looked like it was going to be running towards sort of 15 to 20p EPS for the current year. Well, that now looks like it's probably only going to be about 13.5p EPS, so 4p or 15. So unless it starts pulling something out of the hat again in terms of beating forecast, then, you know, it's probably not worth any more than £2 a share. And the balance sheet's fine. It's been very generous with divvies and buybacks, Shoe Zone has. So I've, I've, I'm not as keen on it as I was, but I still think it's a good business. With lots of positives that I haven't mentioned. Central Nick, we've covered. I think that's mostly it for um, Tuesday. Right, OK, on to Wednesday, 17th of May. We covered four, six, <coughs> seven companies. <coughs> now, I started with... Af What's happening? Oh, the computer started bleeping at me. Uh, right, um, I started with the Afirian, A-F-R-N. It's quite a frustrating share to write about this because uh, um, spell correct changes it to African every time I write about it. So it's not African, it's Afirian, A-F-R-N. This used to be called Amino, Amino Technologies, and it uh, it makes software and hardware i think for set-top boxes so obviously it worries me a bit that maybe set-top boxes are a bit old hat now you know um with uh technology moves on and streaming and so on doesn't it i know they use streaming within set-top boxes but um it kind of looks and feels a bit old hat this company i don't know anyway it dropped sharply down 23 percent which took it down to only 28p a share 
which is just a 24 million market cap. Now, bear in mind, not long ago, this company was making sort of profits and cash flow of about 10 million a year. So to see it down to only a 24 million market cap now, and it actually looks to be in financial trouble. It put out the very late results to October 2022. Uh, now, I've had to mark it red. I've marked it red because it looks financially distressed. It actually ended the week even lower, 20p a share, 17 market cap. So when you're getting down to that sort of level, that is the market saying to you, look, this thing is in real trouble. Now, the Stockopedia stats on this, the forward P of 3.2, the dividend yield of 12.8%, forget that, that that's based on the old data uh, pre the last two profit warnings i think so you've just got to be careful whenever you find something that looks too good to be true in terms of cheapness there's nearly always a reason for that anyway um yeah um a series of profit warnings have crashed the share uh yeah there's a material uncertainty note in the going concern statement so if it doesn't reach its base case uh, uh revenues and cash flows, then it's going to be in trouble and it might have to raise fresh equity. It said that specifically in the going concern note. Always read those going concern notes. They're so useful. You can often find uh, some big risks buried in them. Although I do, I have to say, some companies that are obviously financially distressed manage to worm their way out of uh, that and give themselves a clean bill of health. These things are audited. So I do sometimes wonder how it is that they've managed to get a a, 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 a you know, a tick in the box in the going concern note past the auditors, but it happens sometimes. But certainly in Ethereum's case, it didn't happen. They had to, they said they're in negotiations with the bank over the government's governance. Now, you've got to be so careful. I personally don't want to invest in anything where they're having to discuss governance with the bank. Although, on the other hand, you could argue that as long as you're not risking too much money on it, then maybe it's a risk worth taking because it's very rare for banks to pull the plug over listed companies, unless, you know, they're absolute basket cases, which I don't think Ethereum is. Um, and the amount of net debt it's got isn't that great. But, you know, you just don't know what the existing shareholders are going to do in a fundraise. Sometimes they just say, well, we're people, we're putting in the fresh money, so we'll name our price. You know, they might, with Ethereum, they might say, oh, the major shareholders might say, well, we'll do a fundraise, but we'll, we'll, do, we'll do a 5p a share and dilute everyone else out of sight. You know, this is the big risk. You, do, you just don't know what the, what the major shareholders are going to do. So for that reason, and with the shares near a 20-year low, I've got to be cautious on Ethereum and market red. Uh, but as I said before, that we're not predicting what the share price is going to do. We're just saying this is high risk. Now, if you decide you want to take that risk, and quite often you can get your multi-baggers from shares where there was elevated risk because they get oversold on the downside. But just be aware, obviously, that the risks are, are really quite serious with this one, I think, as stated in the going concern statement. Now, Graham spent uh, most of the morning actually looking at auction technology, ATG, quite an interesting company. We both think 853 million market cap. So see Wednesday's small cap value report on Stockopedia to um, see what Graham thinks of its interim results. Uh, I had a look at Angling Direct, ANG, a micro cap at 23 million market cap. Lackluster figures as expected um, because we've had a couple of profit warnings from it. It blames the weather, the drought in 2022 for uh, obviously sells fishing gear, as you, you could guess from the name, Angling Direct. Um, <clears throat> now, the, the, the main attraction with this share is the balance sheet strength. It's just sitting on a huge for the size of company, a huge net, net tangible asset value of £31 million, which is actually slightly, well, it's higher than the market cap. 
and it's all cash and inventories with hardly any creditors. So you are buying this thing for less than its own cash, basically, and its own stock. So, but there again, why would you pay more for it, given that it doesn't generate a return from any of those assets? So I think they're basically, basically wasting their time and everyone else's time with this business model. I'd, I'd like to see them do something different and just say, well, the fishing tackle stuff doesn't really work, but it ticks along. Let's, uh, I don't know, buy a chain of bars or something, do something different with the cash bar. Why not? If you can find a way of making money with that capital, it's uh, it would put it to better use than just having it sitting in the bank account and doing nothing. Although you could argue <coughs> that <coughs> companies that hold net cash, of course, are now earning interest on that money. So that gives all, all the sort of companies I like and that I follow with net cash uh, a, a, a decent um, tailwind, doesn't it? Um, what did we look at next? Oh, this was me. It was only just a brief comment, really, on the plunging share price of RBG Holdings. This is the... Um, the uh, legal services business that went horribly wrong under Nicola Foulston, who also, uh, well, basically pretty much destroyed her career and credibility by making some ridiculous comments, probably when she was drunk, I would imagine, at some uh, industry dinner, where she used language that I think all of us would agree is totally unacceptable. I mean... <laughs> which really makes you just question her judgment full stop, doesn't it? But anyway, so she's in the doghouse and she was sacked, not not resigned on amicable terms, she was fired. Uh, and good thing too. Um, anyway, people are speculating that maybe she's dumping her shares in the market, so we don't know, that's just speculation. Now, I wanted to look at the share price down to 33p. I've, I've said here, is it a buying opportunity or is it a uh, falling knife that we need to avoid? Catching. So anyway, I reviewed the most recent uh, um, uh, RNSs, and possibly rather frustratingly for readers, I just said, I don't know, we haven't got enough information. So I see it has bounced a bit. Ended the week at 39.5p, RBG Holdings did. Um, and I, I was saying, is it a bargain? Don't know, when it was 33p. So that's a nearly a 20% bounce, isn't it? So I don't know, it might be worth keeping an eye on. I looked at Smart Space, Smart Space Software, SMRT. This is tiny. It's only um, 13 million market cap. Um, I can see some bull cases and some uh, bearish, not really bearish, but some, you know, it's middling. It's middling. I'm just amber on it. And I'll explain why uh, in, the, in the report. I think that's all we covered on that day, didn't we? Or was it Keller? Did I write about Keller in the end? K-L-R... I can't find it. I think I did. Yeah, I think that's looking interesting value, actually, Keller. Yeah, the trading update was quite good from memory. Uh, and uh, Purple Bricks, it's game over. They've sold the assets and most of the liabilities for a pound, leaving a cash shell <coughs> with, I think, five and a half million in it. But by the time they've paid off all the other, you know, everybody will be, will be feeding off the remaining cash pile, no doubt. The visors getting fees in and everything. And whatever's left, and they haven't specified how much is going to be paid out. They say a small amount will be paid out to shareholders. But anyway, that's the end of that saga. At one point, I think the valuation of it was over a billion. It's incredible, isn't it? Seeing the full life cycle of these companies from startup through to, you know, something worth a fortune. I did very well on Purple Brick shares, you know, during the, the big bull run when it looked like it was going to be this highly successful global business. <clears throat> Luckily, I had the good sense to sell them when they got really overvalued. Um, uh, and, and uh, you know, the, it did look like last year it had 31 million in cash in the bank, but that's practically all gone incredibly quickly. So, 
I think shareholders have got questions to answer there, but there's no point in asking them because um, it's it's finished now. So there we are. That's the end of that. ATG, can't remember what that was. I think that might have been something Graham looked at. So, yeah, so in total we covered seven companies in Wednesday's Small Cap, small cap Value Report. Right, okay. Oh, gosh, Thursday was a busy day as well. We covered two, four, six, eight, nine companies. Uh, Belvoir I looked at. That's one of my favourites. The uh, property... Well, estate, franchised estate agents. And I noticed that a competitor, uh, oh gosh, what are they called? Uh, name escapes me, is also now pivoting to a franchise model. So it does seem to work rather well, actually, in the estate agency sector. Belvoir is principally lettings, but it also does well on the financial services side. Remortgaging is still quite buoyant because people are trying to get the best rate as their fixed rates expire. So I like Belvoir, although I have pointed out here that Earnings forecasts have dropped quite a bit <clears throat> in the last um, six months or so. So it's not looking quite as cheap as it was. I think around £2 is about probably the price, correct price for it uh, uh, now. That's a PE of about 12 But you see, once um, the property market recovers, which it is doing uh, after the hiatus from last autumn's mini budget, everybody's all house builders and everybody's saying, you know, basically it is, it, things are steadily improving but still below normal lettings are very buoyant of course which balances things up so i like the way belvoir has that natural natural balance i've concluded belvoir's probably priced about right for now but i think as a just tuck away and forget long-term thing you should do well i think because certainly it's got a really good growth company track record of paying divvies quite generous divvies uh, making lots of bolt-on acquisitions that it seems to have a good eye for the right things to buy and it integrates them well. They don't seem to have put a foot wrong, actually, and yet the market typically only values it on a PE of between 10 and 12, even though you could argue this is actually a growth at reasonable price company that is not diluting itself, funding the acquisitions and the divvies, which is a nice mixture. Roland looked at the works, a small, well, reasonable-sized business, actually, retail chain, value products like books and toys. I don't think much of this company, I have to say, but it, the shares have risen this week. Um, fully a trading update in line. It's not for me. I, I think it's a very, very marginal business. You know, you wouldn't invent the works if it didn't already exist. Now, Graham looked, oh no, sorry, Roland looked at Speedy Hire. This is the one where 20 million of kit uh, vanished into thin air. I was going to say, my brother said to me, funnily enough, he was having some building works um, done on his house, and he and and, and a, a, a contractor installed those big heavy fence things. You know, the ones that are about six or seven feet high, metal ones that they link together to make a temporary fence. And anyway, for some reason or other, the contractor just walked off site, was never heard from again, and didn't get paid for it. I think they negotiated a, a modest payment for the work they had done. But anyway, they left behind these metal fences, and, which, and they're still there a year later, and um, nobody seems to want them. And I was wondering if they belonged to Speedy Hire. Maybe the contractor just took the fences, used them. And then Speedy Hire didn't chase for their return, presumably, if they didn't realise they'd not been returned. So maybe all Speedy Hire's fencing and scaffolding is, is dotted around the country, still on site, um, because contractors realise that they don't, uh, they don't necessarily, well, they don't seem to know where it is and they don't chase for it back again. I don't know. But anyway, Speedy Hire's saying it's fixed these issues. Uh, but for me, it's just, it fundamentally says that the... Uh, 
the finance department isn't in control of the business, so I wouldn't go near Speedy Half. You know, a hire company that doesn't know where its gear is, forget it. Well, I wouldn't touch it with a barge pole. I looked at Christie Group, CTG. Now, the market took this as a mild profit warning. <clears throat> it's down 12% to 133. Uh, I'm amber on it. No, Lord Lee likes this one a lot. He thinks it's very cheap. And I can see why. I looked at its... I reviewed its 2022 accounts quite recently. So have a look at... Uh, do a search for CTG on Stockopedia and you'll find um, my analysis of its last set of numbers. Now, it's said that there's some congestion in the um, in the system of uh, valuing and selling businesses, is what Christie does, commercial commercial property transactions. It says there's log jams in the system because several large portfolios hit the market at once. So there are delays um, and a backlog of transactions generally in the commercial property market. So it says for that reason, some completions are being pushed from H1 into H2. Now, it did previously say it would have an H2 weighting this year anyway, but it's now saying it's going to be more of an H2 weighting, which obviously does increase risk, doesn't it? Because that implies that it's going to clear the whole backlog in H2, which may not happen. We've seen with planning delays and all sorts of... There's so many areas of life where there are now delays because of a lack of experienced people, because people who retired during the pandemic new people weren't trained up and this is just a widespread problem that we've got uh, i'm hearing it in pretty much everything from health education you know all of these sectors are going to take a long time to recover from the lockdowns i think and it seems to be affecting ctg still quite a good business so i've just concluded here if you if you like the share before then a 12 percent dip in price could be a buying opportunity um, i don't think there's anything fundamentally wrong with the company anyway now here's an interesting one srt marine systems simon tucker's outfit that's been listed for 18 years been strenuously promising jam tomorrow well the jams finally arrived They've won this $180 million contract, so I'm delighted to see finally uh, the company seemingly coming good. So we had a vigorous debate about this. I rather clumsily made a comment that, you know, you've got to be careful valuing companies entirely on contract win announcements because, that don't have a track record of profitability. But I'm afraid I did express myself rather clumsily, so apologies for that, because I referenced one disco, which has obviously been a recent... Uh, uh, something that's seared on my memory forever because I got caught on that and lost um, about 30 grand, I think, on it when it turned out that all their contract win announcements were fraudulently misstated. And someone in the city I was talking to recently said, you know, apparently it was a highly sophisticated fraud with fake LinkedIn pages created and all sorts. And the big question mark is obviously whether management knew about it or not. The general consensus for everybody I speak to is, well, they must have done. And if they didn't, then they were completely incompetent. So it's not a clean bill of health for the old management either way at one disco. But <clears throat> as a couple of the readers on Stockopedia said, I shouldn't. It sounded like I was insinuating that there might be something wrong at SRT, which I wasn't. And I did clarify this shortly afterwards in a follow up comment. So apologies if people misinterpreted what I was saying is. <clears throat> insinuating there was something uh, uh, untoward going on at SRT. I wasn't insinuating anything. I just clumsily worded it. Anyway, we've also had an update note from FinCap because I said, you know, look, it's all... I like to play devil's advocate on these things just to keep the bulls grounded. And I said, yes, it's a $180 million contract win, but what actual profit is SRT going to make? Well, the bulls are saying, oh, loads, it's going to be highly profitable, high margin work, blah, blah, blah. Well, FinCap disagrees. They are using a gross margin of 33%, falling to 28%, which is actually quite low margin work 
on their uh, latest contract win. So I think really, as I commented, uh, based on the FinCAP numbers, uh, 100 million market cap for SRT looks about right, I think. So you have to believe that it's going to win follow-on orders, which it may well do. Uh, but there's zero visibility with this company. You just never know when it's going to win contracts. Um, and of course, contract wins can be cancelled. You know, it's not money in the bank when you sign a contract. Everything's got to go right. You've got to actually receive the money and you've got to actually make a profit on it. So I'm just playing devil's advocate on that. But it is, I do like Simon Tucker a lot. I've met him uh, at pretty much every investor show I've been to. And you can't help but liking the guy and wanting it to succeed. But we can't base our investment decisions over the fact that the CEO is a nice guy. You know, the numbers have got to work too. And SRT looks like it's going in the right direction now. So I'm pleased to see that. But I think, you know, bulls maybe keep your expectations a little bit grounded. Right, Roland looked at Michelmersch Brick, MBH. And he's green on this. We like the brick makers. They're doing well and their, their outlook statements are good, which I don't understand, given that other building products companies are saying um, that things are slowing down. So I don't know how we square that circle, but they're very cheap. Brickability as well is on my possible buyers list it's on a PE of six uh, but it doesn't have balance sheet backing whereas the other brick uh, companies do now uh, Roland looked at science SAG we really like this share at the small cap value reports and I haven't read Roland's section I hate to say but he's green on science group I've been very keen on it in the past now I looked at IQE this is the semiconductor wafers thing based in Wales I've been read on this for a while it just doesn't look a viable business it really doesn't. Terrible business model where they have to spend a huge amount on CapEx to build these factories to then make stuff that they sell at a loss. Well, what's the bloody point of that? Um, I think, you know, there was a, a big um, surge of excitement in IQE in 2017 when the figures and the forecast looked brilliant. I remember buying into it myself and I did very well on it. But, you know, it ran from being too cheap to too expensive. So I sold them, thank goodness. And it's been all it's all the way back down again. And it's just done another fundraise now at 20p. Uh, so something's got to change at IQE to stop me uh, rating it, viewing it as as red, because it just doesn't look viable. It'd be such a pity, though, if, an, an, you know, another British company had to sort of admit defeat and we end up importing everything instead, particularly when it comes to semiconductors, because, of course, the whole world's dependent on Taiwan and China wants to invade Taiwan. So... You know, apparently the Americans and the German, Germans are spending serious bucks on building their own or starting to, to build their own semiconductor capacity. Uh, obviously, in Britain, we don't have the vision or the scale to do that. So we'll remain dependent on imports, no doubt. But at least at least you, know, you want to be buying stuff from a friendly country, not a country that wants to nuke you. So um, <clears throat> anyway. I just think IQE is a really bad business model, so I'm not interested in that. <clears throat> unless something, you know, unless the facts change. If the facts suddenly become a lot more attractive, then I'll, I'll look at it again. Sorry if you can see here some dogs barking in the background. That's Seamus and Paddy, my two little uh, uh, mongrel King Charles Spaniels. No, not, what, what are they? No, Yorkshire Terrier mongrels, but they're about five times the size of a Yorkshire Terrier. And they're 16, and what I do, I leave the slats by the front door open so they can look out of the window and bark at any passing dogs and cats because it keeps them lively and interested. So, <laughs> sorry, I digress. Friday, 19th of May. Right, on the beach, OTB. I had a look at this travel company. Now, I think it was the day before this reported, actually. Now, probably rather frustratingly for readers, I, I couldn't really make much headway on this because 
I couldn't find any broker notes. There's no point in being a small cap if you're not going to get broker research out to the people who are buying and selling your shares, which is private investors. Talking of which, I met Rob from Research Tree for lunch on Friday. What a smashing guy. And I'm so pleased to hear that uh, uh, Research Tree is, is, is doing well. Uh, <clears throat> I pay £25 a month for the service myself. It's worth every penny giving me access to um, broker notes, which I use a lot for my when I'm writing the small cap value reports. So thank you to the team at Research Tree for that. We had a brilliant lunch. We ended up uh, uh, in the windmill in Mayfair where they do the most amazing uh, award-winning pies. And we ended up spending the whole afternoon there. Hence why this podcast is being recorded on Sunday, not not Saturday. <laughs> As, as those of you who are over fifty know that when you when you have a big uh, boozy afternoon, uh, nothing much gets done the next day. Anyway, on the beach, OTB. I'm amber on this one, but I think there might be a trade here. Actually, it's kept dropping. It's all the way back down to about one pound five. I remember writing about it not that long ago when it was knocking on the door of two pounds, saying, "Okay, I think it's risen too much. I'd be banking some profits at that level." which was a good call, actually, because it's it's almost halved since then. I think it could be worth a, a speculative type of trade, um, but I can't really firm up on the numbers. The problem is the H1 period, which I think is to... Is it to March? Uh, this is where they do a lot of the marketing costs to get the bookings for the summer holidays, but obviously the revenues are not recognised until the customer's been on holiday. So you've got this very skewed H1, is only about break-even, so you can't really ascertain anything much from H1 performance. And H2, the outlook comments were too vague. So, but anyway, I've, I've said back of the back of the uh, envelope, I think it could be worth between £1.26 and £1.51. So at £1.05, there could be a trade there, I don't know, but that's up to you. What else did I look at? Uh, oh, I was too tired to do a summary, so I'll have to scroll through. PHC, oh, that was it. I focused on listings and delistings. Um, PHC, Plant Healthcare. Now, this is the thing that announced on the 2nd of May it was going to consult about delisting. Well, actually, interestingly enough, it's come back and said... Uh, that it's not going to delist, that its shareholders want it to remain listed. So that's quite encouraging, isn't it? But I've still marked it uh, as a red because, negative, because I don't see why it's worth anywhere near 34 million market cap. It just loses money hand over fist. Directors are talking about jam tomorrow, but, you know, they've, they've never, they haven't really got anywhere, as far as I can see, commercially, since this thing's been listed. So, but apparently the shareholders are prepared to back it, and they've made signals that shareholders would support another fundraise or it didn't say how many shareholders is just a number well one is a number <laughs> so it could be one shareholder i don't know anyway I, i'm just i'm not convinced by plant healthcare but at least it's remaining listed so people who uh, think it's overvalued can actually sell their shares which is what i'd be doing if i held any uh, anyway, I've concluded here why get involved with plant healthcare when there's currently no sign of this being a viable business Oh, Mirada, oh dear. Well, I mean, this is tiny, so that's why we don't mention it in the small cap value reports. But anyway, that's dropped two thirds, down 66% to 6.5p, uh, which took the market cap down to 0.6 million. Uh, they've announced that they're delisting. Absolutely no point in it remaining listed. And you've got to remember, it costs two or 300 grand minimum these days to have a stock market listing. So if your, value, if your market cap's below 10 million and you're losing money, it doesn't make any sense being listed. So I think you've got to be, I think we'll see an avalanche of companies uh, 
delisting. And we're already seeing this, actually. Marada is the latest one. But you look at the shareholder structure, which is what I flagged up here. It's not, it, The top shareholder in Marada owns 90%. Sorry, sorry, that's the top three or four. But yeah, the top one, 87% of the company. Um, Ernesto Luis Tinajero Flores owns 87.2%. What's the point in listing something where one person holds 87% of a tiny company? You know, there's going to be no liquidity, is there, from, from, from day one? It's stupid. So um, they need to stop floating anything where one person or a group of people has more than 50%. And I think AIM should change the rules. It's, it's, it's absurd having uh, no, no upper limit on the, uh, on, the, on the holding of insiders. Just ridiculous. So anyway, that's the end of that one. Knights Group, KGH. Now, I, I, this is one of these uh, listed legal professional services businesses. It looks so cheap. We had a really interesting debate in the reader comments about this. Um, uh, only, I won't go into all of it. You can see Friday's report. But really, really low PE. Uh, four times. Uh, and, and and it's making it's continuing to make acquisitions, and there's a there's a over a five percent dividend yield on top. So it doesn't look financially distressed, although it has got a fair old bit of bank debt. Anyway, some of the readers think it's uh, a pile of you know what, um, just think it's a poor quality business buying other poor quality businesses. But I mean, it's making a decent profit, underlying PBT of twenty one and a half million. You know, for something that's only valued at about 80 million or less, that's not bad, is it? So I think it's worth a look anyway. So that's in line with expectations. What else have we got? OCCR. This is the drinks thing. Now, Graham normally covers this because it's headquartered in Dublin. Of course, our Graham is um, based in Ireland. So he's got the local knowledge of maybe things that we may not know that we don't know that he just knows from living there. Anyway, it's profit warning. I'm amber on this because... Um, the profit warning has been caused by an IT implementation project at the old Matthew Clark and Bibendum distributors, which were part of Conviviality, which, of course, collapsed in 2018. I remember that vividly because I caught the falling knife and lost 30 grand on it in about two weeks, which was, uh, you, you know, you the market really teaches you some hard lessons sometimes. And it's only by losing money that those things remain etched on your on your brain. Um and isn't it ironic that the same business units that caused the collapse of conviviality have now caused a profit warning at C&C? Quite a big group, actually. Uh, nearly €2 billion Euros revenues. I think it's actually quite good, and I think they'll be able to take this knock in their stride. But the CEO has uh, fallen or been pushed, but it looks like they've been pushed by the CFOs. The CFO is stepping up to becoming CEO. So a bit of a warning there. I don't have a, <laughs> don't have a finance director who's... Too ambitious, or you could end up uh, uh, having to make way for them uh, when you leave, so or when you're pushed. Anyway, uh, I don't know. C C and C is looking reasonable value. I wouldn't say it's stunningly cheap, but anyway, we've nearly run out of time. Although I have discovered a way of compressing the audio files, so it looks like I'll have to do that because I've overrun forty six minutes. So hopefully that's useful and interesting. The recap of the week that's just finished. And for those of you who are going to Mellow, I think it'll be quite a lot, hopefully. Um, I really look forward to uh, seeing you and chatting to you. Um, I'll be there on Tuesday and Wednesday, afternoons and evenings only, because in the mornings I've obviously got to be writing uh, the reports for people who are not going to Mellow. But please do support Mellow, because David's pretty exasperated. I think he said it's like pushing water uphill. And, you know, if people don't support it, he won't be able to do any more of them. So... 
I think we really are in a situation with these with these physical events, use it or lose it. And that message is mainly to the companies, the exhibitors. You know, apparently companies are just wanting to do everything by Zoom. Well, I can understand that because it's efficient and a lot of them are just working from home quite a lot of the time. And so just going on a Zoom call for half an hour, 40 minutes is, a you know, and, and spending the rest of your time with your family and your dogs and everything is is more appealing. But there's no substitute, you know, for actually getting out there, coming to an investor show and physically meeting people who are interested in your company. You know, you never forget the directors you meet, whereas you can easily forget a director on, on Zoom. And it, you can then maintain contact in future with Zooms, perhaps, or phone calls. But I do like to see uh, management. So well done to Belvoir and Central NIC, who I'm looking forward to bending their ears at Mellow on Tuesday and Wednesday. And hopefully see lots of you there and uh, enjoy a pint of crisp, cold Peroni with you in the bar. Okay, I look forward to it. And thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.